I'm going to mention a term that is loved and hated, but I think uh, dark social is is very much going to be really important. However, I think it's, you know, one of those things that uh, you can use your power for good or evil, right? That's Alessandra Kalachi, the VP of Marketing at Mailshake, a sales outreach tool that focuses on keeping things simple without sacrificing quality. You might have heard it before, but dark social is all the rage right now. In my conversation with Alessandra, we touch on how leadership is going to have to shift their mindsets as more and more of marketing is not able to be tracked. Things like this podcast, TikTok videos, word of mouth, and much more cannot be tracked. Even the messages sent through Mailshake can fall into the dark social bucket as you don't know how your outbound message will get forwarded to other people or even sent through Slack, SMS, or even possibly Facebook Messenger. You know the dreaded direct traffic bucket in Google Analytics. Much of that is from dark social that creates your dark funnel. I think the really, really important thing is for leadership to understand that it's not like this magical fairy dust that we sprinkle and it's like, oh, we're doing dark social or we're doing podcasting or we're doing these things. That is still very much a demand gen driver, but it has to be measured maybe different ways. As a leader myself, the CEO of Magal.io, a tech stack agency with a big focus on analytics and measurement, and also as the CEO of UTM.io, the leading SaaS product for helping companies get marketing attribution right, I know how hard it can be to measure the marketing funnel, especially the marketing channels, and also this new dark funnel. This is Dan McGaw, host of The Stack, and every week I get a chance to talk to executives like Alessandra to understand their business, their metrics, and talk about the strategies they're executing to drive revenue. And yeah, we are going to talk about The Stack and the tools they're using to run those programs and measure the business too. Alessandra is the VP of Marketing at Mailshake. Founded in 2015 and led by the amazing Sujan Patel as CEO, Alessandra has the sweet job of running marketing in a crowded market of outbound tools. You know, those pesky emails you get from salespeople, those typically come from those outbound tools. To be different in the crowd, they have worked to keep things simple compared to much of the market. The outbound tool market is full of competition, and many of them have bells and whistles for their bells and whistles. Alessandra and I had a chance to talk about the interactive content funnel that's driving their personalization. We got to talk about dark social and how she is lucky to have a CEO who owns marketing. Her boss, Sujin, is a famous marketer, and before Mailshake, he founded Single Grain, one of the best digital marketing agencies, period. Alessandra will tell us how great it is to have a marketing-wise CEO, how she is building the business, and the tools that give her an edge over the competition. Let's hop in. My name is Alessandra Kalachi, and I'm the VP of Marketing at Mailshake. Um, I've been here about a year and a half, and I'm excited to chat today. I mean, help me understand, what does Mailshake do? In simple terms, you know, we help people reach out to people as cold outreach. So that could be anything from email to phone calls to LinkedIn connections that they're doing or connecting with them on social. So really like a multi-touch approach to cold outreach. And, you know, a lot of times it's kind of a foreign concept to people because inbound has become such a common word that people hear. But we focus on educating people on how to do outbound and how to really talk to people who are maybe not opted in, people who are maybe, you know, a part of an ABM program that you want to want to reach out to and get in front of them in a way that actually converts. Interesting. Now, the outbound space is pretty crowded, right? There's a lot of people who do outbound. So, like, how are you winning that battle? Like, what are you fighting with and stuff like that? Because there's, I mean, you've got everybody from outreach to lemlist against you. 
Yeah. And it's funny because we um, we did a recent research panel and someone said, oh, there's 100 people in this space. And they were they were close. There's actually like 85 direct competitors to us. And it's growing every day. I mean, every day there's a new one launched. But I think Mailshake has been really at the core of teaching people how to do cold outreach the right way. So part of it is our content's been really, you know, active online for the past like five years. We also are focused on things that a lot of our competitors don't focus on, like simplicity and deliverability. They're not necessarily things that are too sexy to talk about, but they're very important because, you know, as we all know, if your email's not getting delivered, it's not going to get open, not going to get clicked, not going to lead to revenue. So we try to really focus on the things that are like what Apple does, stay simple, keep it easy. So it might not have all the bells and whistles, but it's the ones that matter. But as we move up market and kind of get into more of the space that is even more crowded, we're looking at how we evolve that over time. Now, does Mailshake have like a freemium model or is it like you have to pay to play? So for us, you have to pay to play. The main reason is because we're not a tool like a MailChimp or something like that, that you can just get started right away and just start sending emails. You know, it's one of those things where there's certain steps you have to take. You have to warm up your email. You have to make sure that you're really like in a good place for deliverability and all that kind of stuff. We like to teach people those principles. I think, you know, a lot of times people in things that are work really well with like a true PLG freemium model, it's something that someone can like get started today. They don't really have like a lot of foundational skills that they necessarily need to do for that. For us, for cold outreach, it has to be done the right way. Otherwise you end up in the spam inbox, right? So we like to make sure that we like really come in and support them and have, you know, more of our support team and everyone really involved in helping them like get up and started. And then also encouraging them to like stay for at least, you know, three to six months so that they get the results. Not just like I did it for a month, it's done, you know, but to also counteract that a bit, we have a 30 day money back guarantee because, you know, we all know how it goes. Sometimes it's like, okay, this is a shiny object. Let me just try it. But we want to show people that, hey, if it doesn't work for you, then, you know, no problem. We, we call that like the paid trial, quote unquote, because I think people can come in and they can, if they are someone who wants to just try it out for a month, that's fine. But they have a little skin in the game because they've actually put some money into it, you know, so I think it's like a good balance. Yeah, I would agree. And deliverability, you can't mess up, right? Like that's one of those things that it actually needs attention, needs focus. So you almost have to pay to play uh, to make sure that you don't wind up with a bunch of bad actors. Now, I guess like, you know, deliverability is humongous, right? Like one of the most important metrics you can look at. I think about those metrics when I'm sending cold outbound emails, but I guess like when you think about the metrics that you're being measured on, the KPIs that Alessandra is is measured back to, what would those top three KPIs be? So a lot of the things that we look at is traffic to high intent pages. So we call them the money pages on site. So focusing less obviously on our overall traffic. We have a lot of SEO traffic. We have a lot of traffic to the homepage, but you know, are we growing traffic to the pricing page and to the signup page or to those key kind of places? And then most of it's, you know, kind of the traditional, um, somewhat down funnel metrics around demos. You know, how many demos are being booked? Are we helping the sales team uh, decrease the uh, cancellation rate? What are the things that are happening for us to really like work with sales enablement to make everything in between the sale happen better? And then obviously, you know, conversions to new customers. So a number of new customers a month is pretty important. Those are like kind of the core ones. And then we look at what impacts that in our weekly scorecard, how what's like the surrounding kind of metrics. What's in your scorecard? I love scorecards. I want to hear about the scorecard. 
Yeah, our scorecard, it, it grows and shrinks, you know, just depending on the phase we're at. You know, we used to have a lot more uh, metrics on there. And now it's mostly focused on number of inbound demos that are booked. And then we also are looking a little bit more deeply at like cancellation rate and some of those things as like a sub metric of that. And then we have, you know, a number of opt-ins because that's something, you know, we're trying to work on improving just because we have a lot of traffic, but it's like, how do we actually get those people as identified contacts? We look at number of conversion tests we're running because, you know, we really focused a lot on um, conversion tests more as like the input, obviously. But then on the back end of that, we look at what the results are for that. We have a growth meeting every Monday. We actually talk to the sales team about their metrics as well and, you know, kind of measure those as well, you know, and talk through it. I love this idea of a scorecard that they review weekly. This is a great way to get your team aligned, especially when you're in B2B. You need to align marketing and sales or you're totally screwed. Not only does this align your team, but you can't manage what you don't measure. Something I found interesting at the top of the episode was the concept of deliverability. This is something you should possibly have on your scorecard. This is an often overlooked topic and I need you to pay attention if you are sending any type of emails, period. Emails are sent by what's called an ESP, an email service provider, and emails are accepted by what is typically called an ISP, an internet service provider. Things have changed a lot on the internet where your internet provider is no longer providing you your email, but the rules are still the same. Gmail, Hotmail, Outlook are all ISPs with the best interest of automating bad actors into your spam box. They do this using the IP address of the ESP, the content of the email, the links in the email, the images, and so much more. Whenever you send lots of emails through any service, it is using an IP address to communicate that email to an ISP. And when you get a new domain, a new email provider, or simply send out lots of emails, you need to warm things up. You need to warm up that IP, you need to warm up that domain, and you need to gain some credit with the ISP before they're just going to accept hundreds of emails you might send to their users. You need to start out slow, sending a small number of emails and building your volume up over time. With tools like Mailshake, it will manage and optimize this process for you. Doing this manually totally sucks. It can be done, but it's just not that easy. This is one of the things that Mailshake does for its customers. They offer warming up as part of their product and service. I bet Marketo didn't offer you that as part of the package, right? Let's get back to what Alessandra had to say about their scorecard, their relationship with sales, and how they're winning the market. So going back to one of the things you had talked about, which I think is really interesting, you had talked about gaining traffic towards these money pages, right? So like, what are the projects you're running right now that are helping you accomplish that to drive more traffic to these money pages? Over the past few months, one of the big focuses has been, you know, conversion tests that lead to the money pages. So usually that looks like our homepage or kind of the core product pages that we have on the site and then how we can keep on increasing the metrics that drive to the money pages. So most of the time that's, like I said, pricing page visits. So we measure as like kind of a core metric, we measure number of demos and if that's increasing with each conversion test. But then we also look at other like secondary metrics. So our visits to those pages increasing as a result of those tests. In certain tests, we may measure visits to the signup page. Other ones we may visit, you know, visits to the pricing page, just depending on where they are at their journey. But overall, that's been kind of the core focus of the conversion test is like, how do we um, remove friction mostly? And that's the key thing. We see people coming to the site repeatedly. I mean, it's crazy. What are you using to run all of your testing? 
I mean, we love Google Optimize just because it's free. And so it's pretty fantastic in that front. But also I think what's pretty interesting, you know, I've used the gamut like VWO um, and Optimize and pretty much everything else. But I think with Google Optimize, it's a very different kind of testing. And so it's usually, generally speaking, our tests are shorter and they end up completing at a kind of quicker rate just because, you know, the measurement is different from some of these other tools. Interesting. Yeah, no, Google Optimize, amazing solution out there that really helps a lot. And it's free, right? Yeah. Anybody can do experimentation now, which is always really, really helpful. So, I mean, help me understand, like, what are the big parts of your stack? We talked a little bit about Google Optimize. It sounds like you have a lot of things going on with traffic. And you also talked a little bit about, like, decreasing the cancel rates and stuff. I mean, what's the stack that powers all of this? So it's a relatively, you know, traditional stack. We usually look a lot at Google Analytics. We um, kind of add new tools with Tag Manager. Sometimes we'll experiment with adding new tools, seeing, you know, how we can just get an initial rollout and then deeply integrate them a little bit more. Um, but that's like really kind of the core powering of that. And then we have a number of tools across SEO, automation, um, you know, and then interactive content as well, depending on which we're focusing on. Well, let's talk about that interactive content, right? So, I mean, what is the interactive content that you're running? It sounds like you're using it to increase the conversion rates. And then what products are you using to really drive that interactive stuff? So we found really that friction of people visiting a site and having questions that maybe weren't being answered. And so um, we looked at a, how we could use interactive video. And that was like kind of our first, you know, step into the pool and saying, how can we answer questions in a way that it, people feel like they're getting the answer very fast versus having to go to 10 pages. And so we used a tool called Tolstoy. It's pretty similar to Video Ask, but a lot of what we do at Mailshake, just because we're bootstrap, is we like try a tool that's pretty cost effective. Tolstoy's free. So we're, we like that price tag. And then we just scale into it and see if, you know, we want to use the same tool or, you know, go to a paid version. So we use Tolstoy to build out really kind of the common questions that we get people coming to the site, but also especially to look at the use cases that they're coming in on. So someone's coming in as a marketer and then we have like that path for them within the interactive video, they can go through and say, okay, I'm a marketer. Then it answers the question of how would you specifically as a marketer use Mailshake? Or they come in as a solopreneur and it answers that question specifically. So it really accelerates that timeline a lot faster. So somebody comes to the website and they're like, I'm a marketer. And then you show them a video, which is tailored to marketers. And then it shows them the product. What's in the video? So initially kind of the version that we have right now is that it asks them like, do you want to know more about Mailshake or do you want to know more about, you know, tell us about your role and know more about how to use it for that. So right now it's just a description of like, hey, as a marketer, you would do this and this is some ways that you could use Mailshake. Also, you know, kind of weaving in the, the features with benefits, uh, obviously benefit led messaging in there. At the end, it said, you know, after that, it kind of talks through for their specific role, then it says, would you like to see a demo? And then they can click through to that next step and see it. So it's really cool because it's like a choose your own adventure kind of a thing where they go through and they first learn about how it works for their, their role and then they see the demo. But how we need to evolve it is being more specific with already having the demo, you know, be about their role and show like the exact use case for their role early on versus later at the tail end of it. So how long have you had this running? Like what are the results from this? Is this like proving to be very well or... Yeah, I think the disconnect right now is uh, Tolstoy is kind of in its infancy in terms of how it connects to other tools. They have a plugin for HubSpot. It's relatively basic and simple. I think they're kind of evolving that quickly. But we haven't really been able to say, okay, well, how is this specific person being influenced in the journey? At, like kind of a really easy automated way. 
anecdotally, we take a look at sessions through HubSpot and we look at, you know, we've seen some really cool interactions, you know? So I think next step is to like, how can we actually quantify it a lot better? I remember we did one where um, at the end of the Tolstoy, there was a selection to get email. So we did like lead capture at that point. And then we said, hey, do you want to be emailed a, a, like a demo? And so that was really powerful because people still are very self-service. You know, a lot of times people don't want to talk to someone. They don't want to actually get on a demo, but this was us giving them like kind of a pathway to still be able for us to get their email address and them to get that demo, you know, kind of that like instant gratification. I was so excited once where I looked at someone's journey in HubSpot and I saw her do that. And literally within, you know, an hour, then she actually clicked from that. We had a landing page from the demo in the email. She hit that landing page and then she went through to the pricing page and actually converted. Next step is to get a little bit more quantified with that to see like how many people are actually going through those steps uh, to convert. I love that. Now, is Tolstoy, the video stuff, is that the only interactive stuff or are you doing other interactive things? No. So um, we actually, you know, I'm, I'm all in on interactive because I think, you know, <laughs> I constantly get people who are like reaching out like, hey, Alessandra, I saw, you know, this video on your site, people who don't even know me. So I think I just, people are so intrigued by it, but um, seems to be working well for education too. And so I'm like, hey, how do we really integrate some more things that could be not just video? Because I think sometimes people want video and sometimes people want just more of a, like a text-based or a button-based kind of thing, almost like a chat bot. We, you know, don't really favor chatbots. We're trying, we're starting to experiment with them again, but I had heard of a tool called Write Message and Write Message is like very similar to kind of a, a quiz or, a, you know, survey or something like that, but it's embedded in the site itself. And so you can put it like in any part of the page and have a really integrated, uh, you know, kind of step for them to take. So one of the things we did is have a first question kind of middle of the page or further down the homepage that says like, have you ever done cold email before? And so yes or no. And then we, it's similar to Tolstoy. We ask some other questions that we say, like, what role are you in? So we can customize it. And then we customize the landing pages that they get to at the end of that journey that are specific to like their role and the things that they answered during those questions. But it's so cool because it's a, you know, a grease the wheels kind of thing. They go in and they're just like scrolling through the page. And they're like, oh, I'm sure I'll answer this question. Oh, I'll answer the next one. And then we get data. I love the data. That's my favorite part of it where I'm just like, ooh, we get all this data really quickly. But then also we can really evolve the like little mini funnel that comes off of the back of it. Are you personalizing in HubSpot based upon what they're saying in like write message? Is that how that works or... I think that's the next step. So right now we're basically personalizing on a couple of things. If they come in on the blog and they, we usually collect like what industry they're in, or sometimes we collect what role they're in. And so we personalize the sequence based on that. But we are obviously getting some of these things like what's happening in Right Message or, or Tolstoy. And then, you know, we have these, but we're not really integrating them yet into the sequences. Interesting. I love it when people get super, super personalized. So HubSpot is mainly just marketing automation is like, oh, help me understand because it said you said analytics, but what else is in there? In addition to analytics, we really, you know, have focused on growing our opt-ins on the blog. Our blog is actually very highly trafficked, you know, and SDO is a big focus. So as we do that, we move to HubSpot being the the system of record for those opt-ins. And then we, we do the traditional things. Obviously, we put them on a, a three-month drip sequence in there as soon as they opt in, but then we may have different pathways that they take based on, you know, what kind of content they consume or what kind of things they came in on um, just to like personalize it a bit more to their specific journey. You had mentioned that you're telling the page that they're coming in on and then leveraging that to ultimately optimize it. So I'm assuming a HubSpot is tracking all the pages on the site and that's where that data is coming from. Yeah. I mean, we use it like for analytics, we use it at a high level, but I think the big 
question mark for us right now is like content has been an engine that has really been a focus for so many years. But then like we're trying to get to the point where HubSpot can um, better report on what kind of content is actually performing the best for conversion. And so for that end to end, you know, kind of reporting would be really helpful because it's already tracking a lot of that stuff. And we have like some idea, obviously, at a high level and maybe even by a content kind of perspective for for page views and all that kind of stuff. But we haven't really evolved to the point where we can really say like this specific piece is driving, you know, X number of signups or X number of demos, for example. And HubSpot's connecting the actual behavior to the individual users. So if it was Tony, you knew it was Tony. Unlike Google Analytics, you have no idea who's who. Exactly. And so that's what I love about it is we really see how much activity and that's the craziest thing to me is that there's so much activity that happens before that conversion. You know, if you look at that in Google Analytics, you're like, great, we got this many visits to this page or maybe even this page converted this much. But when you look at it at HubSpot, then you're like, oh my gosh, this person did 20 things. You know, they they looked at pages, they came to the site five times before they looked at support docs, all the things that they did, you know, in that journey. And it really, I think just like shows us how, how different that is for everyone, but also, you know, potentially we can tap into what are the trends across people that do X, Y, Z before they convert. Now your founder is a Patel, which means that, you know, Sujin is Neil's cousin, Neil Patel, who's my former boss. And if there's anything I know about the Patels, they don't like to spend money on advertising. They love content marketing. They love SEO. So it sounds like you're having a ton of fun living in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think what's really unique is like they say, like, you know, if you work for a CEO that's a marketer, you're, I mean, your life is easier, I think, at that point, because it's not me convincing him that these things are important. And also, you know, he comes from that background of trying different things and being experimenting with what works and being really like scrappy, you know. So that's been what we do, you know, and I, I'm very much of the same mind as like, you know, let's really like kind of just try different things. But Sujin has been like a deeply embedded in all those kind of things. And he has really been very involved in from day one. I mean, he was, you know, the one really leading the charge for SEO and content and all that kind of stuff, you know, when the company first started. So it's a lot easier, obviously, because I'm able to just like be like, hey, let's roll with this. Let's like kind of add some fuel to the fire. But he gets marketing. He loves marketing. He's really bought in on that. But also like, you know, now we we are evolving to very much a product-led company and, you know, sales-led company and all those kind of things. And that's important. That's important for us to evolve to more of like, like, hey, it's, you know, marketing plus these things. It is awesome for Alessandra that the CEO of her company is also a marketer. Having a marketing-minded CEO can make your work easier. With a marketing-minded CEO, you have the potential to do amazing things and shine in your role. On the other hand of that, if your CEO doesn't understand marketing and is generally bad at it, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle at times. Having to prove the value of every little thing, like a podcast maybe, is gonna be much harder. As a CEO who is also a marketer, I know that this is more than just a two-sided coin. Being a marketer and working for me is really hard because the bar is set really high. So in some cases, a marketer or CEO can make life easier. In other cases, it can possibly make life harder. The same thing goes when you're trying to use your CEO as the influencer of your brand. I'm an extrovert marketer who loves the stage. But when you have a CEO who's a technical founder and introverted, they in many cases don't like marketing or being the face of the brand. A panel of CEOs from Saster's Scale Together event were talking about this exact thing. Dave Kellogg, who was formerly the CEO of Host Analytics, had particularly interesting comments during his panel. 
So I come at this from two angles. Uh, one, as a marketeer, you need to kind of play the hand you're dealt in terms of your CEO. So if you've got a dynamic, charismatic CEO, get them out there, put them on stage. If you've got an introvert, work with that. But, but don't try and twist them into something they're not because you'll invariably have very awkward moments. The other thing I'd say is, um, interesting enough, I remember back when I uh, was a CMO and I interviewed for CMO jobs, one of the patterns I noticed was some big percentage of the time I'd leave the interview going, you guys don't need a CMO, you need a CEO, right? You're asking the CMO to position the company, determine strategy, product market fit. I'm like, what does the CEO do here? Um, so I, I think it's important to, as a marketeer, if you're looking at companies, uh, to think about that because the CEO very much should be doing those things. That's really important stuff to think about when you're on the hunt for your next career move. Make sure you're setting yourself up for success with the right CEO. Let's get back to business and learn some more about Alessandra's stack. I was doing some research on your site and I noticed that you were using Hotjar, right? So you've got all this interactive content. You've got HubSpot for this analytics stuff. It sounds like you're measuring in a bunch of different ways. What are you using Hotjar for? I always joke that, you know, I've used a hot jar for years. Um, and it's one of those things where I want to see where people are clicking that we don't know they're clicking. And it's something that happens all the time. I mean, especially on homepages, people are clicking on certain graphics or they're clicking on certain, you know, kind of parts of a, a page that you wouldn't expect. And it wouldn't show up in Google Analytics. It wouldn't be something that we're like, oh, this is something we're missing, right? So we like to look at the sessions and just kind of, let's say we were doing a test, like we may look at it during the test and see, you know, kind of what people are doing during that test that are like maybe isn't captured in the analytics. But also, you know, we may change the top menu or or something like that and see like how people are starting to interact with that and what their journey is. Are more people clicking on a certain thing than another? Um, so that's really what we use it for. But also, you know, things like the rage clicks and things that are not things you would notice. We, we love saying that, oh, like this person's rage clicking. And then when you see their session, you're like, oh my gosh, like maybe it's an obvious thing, maybe it's not, but it can help inform us on how to like really improve the page or, you know, that they're on or, or um, remove some of that, the issues that they're having. Are you doing that through the heat mapping or are you doing that through the recordings? Yeah, so both. Like we usually look at the heat map. We also look at the heat maps just like kind of as like snapshots in time. So we may be like, oh, hey, we're doing a certain thing on site. And we look at the heat maps of like what that was versus a heat map like in a different time period where we're doing something different to compare the two. Like maybe their behavior is kind of different. And then we also look at the recordings um, when possible. Like uh, I said, if we're doing a conversion test, we may look at like the pricing page, for example, and the sessions on that during the test to get some early indicators before we have like, you know, stats say uh, results for that test. It's a way for us to have some early insights into that, but also to see like how we may be able to do something different on the next test, for example. Now I find watching session recordings like one of the most valuable things in marketing, but it is just so time intensive. Somebody's actually going to watch it. Even if you watch it at two times speed, you've got thousands of conversions and stuff like that. Is this something you're doing or are you delegating this to different members of your team? I love to get my hands dirty. So a lot of times I will, you know, kind of watch some of these things, not not a lot of them, but, you know, I like to kind of see things that I might see. Um, and I think the more eyes on it, the better. But, you know, kind of more at scale, um, our growth manager, he focuses on the conversion test and more of like the site experience and some of that stuff. So he, you know, is more the person that, that will look at the sessions or kind of break them down. I think you have to get it to like the smaller sampling. So, you know, like I mentioned, if we're doing a specific thing currently, like we're 
hey, we're focusing on this, or we just launched, you know, Tolstoy or some of those tools, then we may pick out a specific page and maybe a specific type of user, maybe from a specific channel, for example, so that we get it to a smaller, more manageable amount of recordings that we can look at. Now, how do your like insights and analytics and measurement correlate in with product, right? So, because like at the end of the day, if you're going to go a product-led growth motion, your analytics inform the product-led growth motion. And then marketing is usually kind of involved with PLG, right? So I guess like from your side, like how does marketing and product kind of come together to leverage all this or report on that stuff? Because I think earlier you were talking about product has their own analytics product. And when I was doing some of my research, it sounded like they were using Amplitude over there. Yeah. Yeah. So Amplitude, um, it, we mostly focus on how many people are basically the full funnel from the sign up to actually onboarding and then like what that looks like in retention and using the product in the first month or so. That's been kind of the main thing. Um, marketing, obviously we've had some dashboards that we'd like to be built out and everything in there just so we can see like kind of that funnel initially in their sign up. But it's been less the analytics and has been more like actually talking to customers um, and marketing getting very involved in talking to customers. Um, it almost sounds cliche nowadays because, you know, I feel like everyone's starting to say that, but we've realized that there's so much uh, nuance that we don't get in analytics. And so we're like, well, how do we go back to the drawing board, especially as we move up market and start to see like a new audience that may not be coming to the site? That's the key thing. Like they may not be coming to the site. So if I want to tell product or, or sales or any of them, like what I'm seeing, it may be the wrong thing because it's not like our, our best fit customer yet. And so we've kind of focused on how do we do more research, more panels, talk to more people so that we can get like the really, you know, the kind of uh, words that they use and the things that help with messaging and all of that. Now, are you getting any of that information through Tolstoy or write message in regards to like the customer feedback or are you just doing customer calls? So a little bit of both. I think we we look at Tolstoy and, and write message and we say, okay, you know, what percentage of them are a specific role, for example, so we can know what use cases to focus on. And then that, you know, might be even an app that we can focus on some of that, that messaging, but more of it right now has been like using other tools. Um, one that we started using recently is winter. And so winter's a fantastic tool to do research panels. And you can say, I want, you know, these people from this industry at this company size and really get very, very specific. So we usually do panels about 15 uh, people and we've done everything from like homepage messaging tests to competitor tests, preference tests, really like run the gamut in the past four months or so. Interesting. Now, Winner is all about testing like the copy and page against your ICP, right? So like you can form a panel of what your ICP is and then show them an experience and then they give you feedback. Yeah, exactly. So we are able to say, hey, this is maybe even if it's not our current customer, but it's someone that we want to be our customer. In our space, we want to look at people who are managers or like leaders in the sales space. And so we're able to go in and say, hey, let me do a, run a panel for those specific types of people in those roles. The thing I love about Winter is it just like, it takes the burden off of me to recruit the panelists and to like go out there and do it, which we do like on the product side, we do, you know, a little bit of that. But for the marketing team, it, it just really makes it easy for me to just like go in there. They do that part of it. I treat it more like similar to how we do conversion tests. Like there's going to be iterations and then it has to be a feedback loop. So really the key thing is 
we do a research panel in winter and then we use that and we say, okay, how does that inform maybe some tests we do on the website to make sure and confirm that this is like an accurate kind of result, right? And then maybe that's another loop, like, okay, we need to come back at it again. But it's not a one and done. I feel like it's very much like we have to keep on doing more more panels and really trying different things, especially on the messaging, especially on the differentiation. It's something that is so hard to get right. Differentiation, especially in a space like ours that's so crowded, is something that we are doing multiple iterations of in the past like couple months to really get right. Let's talk a little bit more about good customer research. Winner is a copy testing tool that has made this task easier and arguably more effective. In the past, a common strategy was to throw money at Google with different messaging on your ads and see which messages drove the most clicks and conversions. With Winter, you can add method to the madness and hire a panel of your ICP, you know, ideal customer profile, and test your copy before ever putting it on your website, ads, or really any type of marketing. Tools like Winner are driving us into a new era, and there are going to be a lot more coming that help make this process easier and more efficient. Alessandra also spoke about Hotjar, which is a tool that provides heat maps on what parts of the website attract the most engagement. It also helps us visualize clicks, even rage clicks, mouse moves, and so on. Customer research has improved a lot over the last few years. Let's get back to Alessandra and learn more about the rest of her stack. You definitely have a lean stack, right? Like, and you definitely are trying not to over bloat yourself. I mean, you've had some really, really like, I love Tolstoy. I think it's amazing. I love how you're using Google Optimize. If you had to give other marketers three recommendations for how to improve their stack or to make it better, or if they're just starting out, I mean, what would be the three tips you would give other marketers when building a stack? For us, obviously, we're bootstrapped, so it's kind of different. But in my mind, the same principles of like starting with what you have and making it better is very important. So if you have a tool that you're already using, see ways that either you as an internal team or external, you know, kind of vendors and freelancers or, or contractors can help you to get to a better version of that. And I think that really the key thing with that is um, what questions are are we asking that we're not having answers to or we cannot get the answers to? So that's a really important thing. I think even when, for example, when we were you know, working on rolling out Amplitude, we started with what questions do we have? What kind of things do we want to answer? And then that's a really easy way for us to be like, okay, do we have the data in these existing tools? Can we even get the data in these existing tools? If not, then maybe we need to add something else to our stack. If so, then like, you know, we can get there with this existing thing we have. Interesting. What are the other two recommendations outside of being bootstrapped, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, use money well. That's the, that's definitely one of the things we we learn a lot as a bootstrap company. I think the key thing too is to also um, to train your teams to use tools um, in a way that they can just be very like hands-on themselves, not to be like always, you know, looking at external resources. A lot of times, especially with marketers, especially with junior marketers, they're co- they come in and they don't know how to use something and they and then they start to rely on, you know, maybe a marketing ops person or something like that to be the one to do that. I think it's super important for everyone to understand pretty well how to do that themselves as an IC because it might be that like the roles change or that the team changes, maybe the budget changes 
changes and people to be able to really easily be able to like kind of step in when they need to. But also then it helps communication because they're able to like talk to each other about that. They're able to like maybe like make it better and that kind of thing. So train your team on that as well. The third thing is be experimental with, as you can see, I like to really try things that not everyone else is doing. And so as we looked at interactive content, it was something that was like, hey, how can we stand out? How can we look at tools that, again, we can scale into? So really we look at ones that we can try not sign on for like a year contract and enterprise pricing, but something that maybe we can try um, and then like see if it's working just, you know, look at surface level metrics, top of funnel metrics. And if that is, then go deeper and integrate that into our stack more directly down funnel. I think that's a huge thing that like companies sometimes miss out on like this whole product led growth. Like I want to test your tool and use it for a long period of time and then scale into it. And some companies just don't allow that at all, which is super, super sad. Amplitude is very nice in the fact that they let you like use the tool for free. You don't have to pay for it. So like they have that to it. Now, what predictions do you have? I mean, as a MarTech vendor, what predictions do you have for the stack of the future? I'm going to mention a term that is loved and hated, but I think dark social is is very much going to be really important. However, I think it's, you know, one of those things that uh, you can use your power for good or evil, right? And so I think um, it's one of those things where it may get to be a very crowded space uh, in terms of like, it was kind of going back to the pendulum swinging to social media and LinkedIn and some of those things and thought influencers. But I think the really, really important thing is for leadership to understand that it's not like this magical fairy dust that we sprinkle and it's like, oh, we're doing dark social or we're doing podcasting or we're doing these things. That is still very much a demand gen driver, but it has to be measured maybe different ways. Um, and then it also has to be a little bit more of a long term, you know, kind of in terms of the experimental, you know, efforts for it, but also to look look at how it's driving things. It may take a little bit longer than something like paid ads, right? However, I think like the buyer journey is evolving to want that more and more. They want to have their own journey. They want to have their own like way that they can maybe like talk to other people or they can see people, you know, as thought leaders on LinkedIn and then they buy. And so they come to the sales team 70, 80% ready or maybe 90, 100% ready. And it's just kind of, you know, that's how it, how people are changing. So my hope is that people get on board with that and really understand that it has to be the, some of the squishy things that may be a little uncomfortable to do initially, but um, are very important to the buyer journey. I would agree. Dark social is really, really important and is becoming more and more popular, which is hysterical because like for a long period of time, it was like, if you don't have multi-touch attribution, right? I don't care. But it's like now it's like multi-touch attribution doesn't work because we have dark social. I think people are going to have to be a little bit different. You know, we've, we've had, especially now with a lot of the things going away with like the changes that Apple introduced and Facebook introduced and all that, you know, there's gonna have to be more around first party data and more tools that are looking at that, but also people just trying different things and, and, you know, in a way going back to the basics. So I feel we lost a lot of that in marketing over the past 10 years or so where we're like, Oh, it's so easy. I just put up a Facebook ad. I figure out it's, it's not simple, but it's like easier than it's ever been. And so like we lose a lot of that. I mean, now that we're talking to more of our customers, for example, and talking or more of our potential, you know, best fit customers, it's just, that's like the real true marketing, right? The kind of core of marketing that gets a little lost when things are too simple. So I think it's a good thing, but it's going to be a little bit of a cleansing for people to be like, oh, wow, we have to like try different things and get our messaging right and get our positioning right and get like kind of all those things that are, were like so, so before and that was still okay. 
Yeah. No, getting back to the basics, I think, is really, really important. I think it's going to be interesting to see, especially over this next two years, when the cookies go away and Apple kills everybody and Facebook dies, you know, like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know dark social is still going to be around. I can tell you that for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time and being able to chat about all this stuff. It's super, super cool to be able to talk to one, a bootstrap company that's doing great work with the money that they have, but still growing the hell out of the business. I mean, Mailshake is growing like crazy. So you're doing an amazing job. Thanks for being here. And thanks for having us, uh, allowing us to be able to uh, hear what you've been up to. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Alessandra was such a pleasure to talk to, and I loved her perspective on dark social. Let's run through some of the big takeaways from this episode. First, we talked about deliverability. When it comes to email marketing, deliverability is the most important metric. If your emails aren't making it to the inbox, nothing else really matters. Alessandra talked a bit about warming up your email, and a lot of people don't seem to understand how important this is. A new email account is ripe for the spam box. You've got to build your reputation for that email by sending things out slowly, getting people to open them, and getting responses. If you start sending out cold emails in bulk, you're going to just wind up in spam. Second, building a stack for bootstrap companies is going to be a lot different than those big enterprise companies. This doesn't mean that you can't have nice things. It just means that being smart about how you spend money is going to be really important. Alessandra is taking advantage of some great free tools like Tolstoy, Google Optimize, and more. There's a lot of free tools out there that can help you be lean and be a great addition to your stack. You've just got to put in a little bit of extra work to find them. Maybe try looking on Product Hunt or even AppSumo. And third, how great is it to work for a CEO who knows marketing? It can make or break a lot of what you're doing if that person at the top doesn't get what you're doing and fights you on every nickel you spend. Alessandra lucked out at Mailshake with Sujan Patel as the CEO. He obviously knows marketing really, really well. That does it for this week. Join me next week on The Stack and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review. Because you're interested in this podcast, naturally, the next step is to get a free copy of my book at buildcoolshit.com. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next week.